I want to thank everyone who's been involved in our worship service today, and uh, I want to thank the young people as well. Um, Ted, I think it's a fine thing that you admit to not knowing what all these flags are. You're not alone. I'm sure a lot of people feel the same way. Let me, let me tie this in with an event that we have next week. Next week is Prayer Pal Sunday. Let me encourage you, and, and, and uh, I think Ted could endorse this idea, and I, th I think we all should. Find your prayer pal today, and you and your prayer pal together pick a flag up here. And then you decide with your prayer pal to find out something about that nation, the missions that we have there, and then you spend the next year, or at least the next 10 weeks, during our mission season, praying with your prayer pal for that, for that nation and that mission. How does that sound? I think we could do that. I want to tell you, too, Alyssa has uh, reminded me to make mention of this to you, and I, I, I do want you to hear this, that next Sunday is Prayer Pal Sunday. And we'll have a special worship that day, and you and your prayer pal will sit together and participate in worship. Now, some of you are active during the worship service. You come down here, you serve the plate, uh, or you work back there in the, uh, in, in the foyer and the, uh, the enter zone, the strange place that exists between this auditorium and that. Some of them are up in the balcony, that's right. I've got a high sign from the balcony. Listen, if you are one of those uh, active worship workers, invite your prayer pal to do that with you, okay? It is fine, it's all right. Our singers, so good to see all of you here. Get your prayer pal to come and sing with you. <laughs> it makes no sense for us to say, prayer pal, I'd love to be with you, but I have to work at worship today. You go sit over there. Well, that doesn't make any sense. The whole point of prayer pals is that we learn how to do mentoring and we're inviting people to be involved in this with us. So, that's your challenge. Find your prayer pal today. Uh, we will have a meal after our worship next week. And... Uh, if you need help finding your prayer pal, well, you can ask me or you can ask any of our staff or just ask around. And uh, I want to encourage our prayer pals to find, uh, well, you know, and I never have really figured out who the prayer pal is. Is the prayer pal the adult or is the prayer pal the young person? Let's just call them all prayer pals. So you, you find each other, but you all should have your letters. You have your mission now. Um. I love it that we bring out these um, flags, these banners, and one of the first things that I saw this church do when I came here was that they had the children come up and they posted the flags, and I could tell that something important was going on, that something meaningful was happening. Uh, my, uh, my coaches and my guides, and usually it was David and Joyce, told me, well, this is missions season. That's what we're doing now. This is, this is missions, and I, I was impressed. I, I thought... Well, this church really takes it seriously. And, you know, we've got the banners, but if you look around, there are displays, too, that you can go, and people want you to check that out and ask questions. And I understand that you can even get a video of Gina talking about um, her work in Bulgaria. And, by the way, one of the reasons that Gina is going to Bulgaria is because this church nurtured her and encouraged her to think about the rest of the world. So that's what's going on here. And, the, and all these flags mean different things to people. And I, every time I see them, I often wonder about that. 
I was looking at this today, and I was thinking, you know, there may be a trade war, but in this church, America and Canada love each other. Look at how close they are. Flags say a lot. They say a lot of things, these banners that we wave, uh, and uh, they can be both proud and they can be controversial. Karen and I were in Quebec this, um, this summer, and we were traveling through Ontario, and then we went up to Quebec. When you're traveling around in Ontario, you'll see, um, you'll see the, the maple leaf, the Canadian flag flying. But when you get into Quebec, you're just as likely to see the blue and white, uh, I don't speak French, Quebecois flag. And, uh, and boy, they're proud of that. And the reason that is, is because at one time, Quebec was going to be its own nation. In the 1970s, they even thought about it. So you know that that blue and white flag means as much to them, maybe more, than the red maple leaf. And, you know, I look at all these other flags and what they mean, and Jake was carrying in the Vietnam flag. He said that was important to him. This is the free Vietnam flag, not the communist one. I mean, there's so much meaning wrapped up in all of these. I'm an American, and I'm thankful for it. And I know what this flag means to me as an American. I've grown up with that. I've seen that. To this day, when I'm called to do a funeral, and it's uh, someone who served in the armed forces, it touches me when I see that, that flag taken off the casket and folded up with care and with honor and respect and then given to a family. Sure, it's a piece of red, white, and blue cloth, but that action and the expression from those others, it means something. And if you caught any of the, the coverage of uh, John McCain's memorial service yesterday, you know, there was a, there was a phrase, a, a, a refrain that kept going on that, that service to something greater than yourself is very satisfying. And the whole time that this was going on, that, that, that same star-spangled banner draped his casket. And, and I, I participate in that, and I'm thankful for that. I've often wondered, do I also have a flag or a banner for Jesus? For my place in the kingdom of heaven? Because I'm extremely thankful for that too. I, I've seen the Christian flag that some groups have. Uh, I'm not feeling it, I'm, I hate to say. You know, some of you may see it. They may have it at your school or they may have it at some other. It's, it's a, I didn't know there was such a thing until I was uh, well into uh, being an adult. And I just, I just don't own it the same way. And I thought, well, is it, is it the cross? Well, sometimes it's the cross, that symbol. Sometimes it's that ichthus, that fish, because I know what it means. But I keep wondering, you know, what is my banner? What is the banner that I live under that represents me as a citizen, as a subject of the king in the kingdom of heaven? And I think of that old song, God's banner over us is love. And I think that that love, his love, will, will just have to be enough. And uh, one of the things that, that I want to show you is that wherever and, and by the way we take care when we do this we understand how to respect these flags and and how to respect our american flag since we're in america because 
that flag always goes uh, to this side, that from your perspective it always goes to the left. I mean, the, the laws of the land even suggest that. Some have told me, well, it should be above all other flags. Well, I used to be a nerd, but no, that's not the code. And uh, only if we're at war. And it does go above the state flag. But we can get all caught up in that. And my thing is, if I had that Christian flag, where would I put it? If I had that Christian banner, that banner that represents my citizenship, my place in the kingdom of heaven, I'd have to put it far above all these others, even the star-spangled banner that I cherish so much. And, and I don't say that to shame America or the American flag. I say that because if I do not rightly understand that Jesus has been exalted and become Lord, the great king over all the earth, then my life will be out of sync with his kingdom purposes. It makes me more likely to worship false gods. In as much as my nation or any nation will honor God as king of all the earth, I can get behind that and you can too. But in as much as they do not, then we have to bend our knee and give our allegiance to the greatest and highest authority over all the earth. And yet, even when I do honor my own nation and its leaders and the authority and the laws of that land, I still am motivated by my submission to my King, Jesus Christ. This is, this is the message that the psalmist calls us to in Psalm 47. This is the message that Israel of old would have spoken to one another. And, and, and this comes from a time when religion and politics are not separated. We've separated religion and politics or religion and culture. And in fact, we've even not only separated them, but we've sort of pushed them off into an area where you don't discuss those things, otherwise you'll offend someone and it doesn't make us, uh, you know, very sociable people. And what we've done in doing so is we honor above all things getting along and not having a fight. We need a better God, a better power than that. So here, the reality that God has has is taken the throne above all other nations, has become a song on the lips of God's people. And the song leader has said, clap your hands, all you nations. It's not just for Israel, it's for everyone. Shout to God with cries of joy, for the Lord Most High is king over all the earth. He subdued nations under us, peoples under our feet. He chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loved. I know part of this is cut off. I'll read it for you. Don't worry about it. Don't let a mistake with a font ruin the hearing of God's word. 
God has ascended amid shouts of joy. The Lord amid the sounding of trumpets. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. Do you notice a theme there? Sing praises to God. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing to him a psalm of praise. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. The nobles of the nations assemble as the people of the God of Abraham. For the kings of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. And that's our psalm. There's a few things I want to point out with this psalm. First of all, God's awesome. It sounds so trite to say it like that. Because awesome has become uh, a word that we attach to everything. We ask people, you know, how was worship this morning? Oh, it was awesome. How was that movie? It was awesome. Did you watch the game yesterday? Yeah, it was awesome. Where'd you go to lunch today? I went to McDonald's. What'd you have? A burger. How was it? It was almost awesome. Awesome. Everything's awesome. And yet here the, the, the word is reserved with its deepest meaning where it is filled with awe that God has surprised us. God has, has rattled us. God has shocked us. We are filled with awe. And it even scares us just a little bit. But at the same time it scares us we're also excited. This is incredible. This is amazing, is what we're saying. What is amazing? What God has done. That he has assumed authority and subdued all the evil powers and the works of chaos in this world that make nations go to war with each other. All the evil powers that oppress people. All the evil powers that we're still aching with right now but will soon be done away with when God fully exercises his authority over all this earth. So the psalmist is saying, since God is so awesome, let's shout it. Let's sing it. You know what ought to drive us to worship every Sunday? It's not that we have to be here. No, it's Sunday. It's a good day to be here. I don't feel like being there, but we need to be there. We need to put it in our attendance. What ought to drive us there is the fact that our king has invited us to come to his court. Our king has invited us to come to him. You and I are permitted to enter into the kingdom of heaven. We've been invited in. You know, uh, I, I doubt many of us are so um, uh, lackadaisical about our respect to the national banners uh, of this world. And especially our own flag. Oh, you know, it's likely, or are you listening? It's likely today that there will be some controversy and we'll all get upset because football players will kneel instead of stand for the Star-Spangled Banner. And wherever you stand on that, that's fine. I, I understand why it's infuriating. I might even understand why they don't. I, th that's not my point. My point is, if that's going to excite us so much, how much more ought it to excite us that the sovereign great king over all the earth has invited us to come to him. 
to sing his praises, to speak his name. Do we ever appreciate what an incredible, incredible, awesome privilege that is? Maybe not. Sometimes we do, but maybe not. Because we don't understand what it means to have a king. When you have a king, you bow down. Why? Because he's better than you. Americans don't like that word. We don't like that idea. He's not better than me. We make fun of our leaders. We, we take pot shots at them. We can argue with them. Why? Because even though they may be in authority, they're never better than us. But that's not the way it is in a kingdom. In a kingdom, the king is special. And the best kings have earned your respect because of who they are. No earthly king has ever lived up to that. There's been some great earthly kings. There's been some well-respected earthly kings. One of the reasons that our king deserves our respect is he has kept his promises. That part about Jacob's inheritance, who he loved, that's not some syrupy love. I love you, Jacob. You're my best friend. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I have loved Jacob. I've kept my steadfast love. I have remained faithful, even when Jacob was not. Because God's people are often getting in the way. And we blow it. And we make this much harder than it needs to be. And every time we throw up a problem, God overcomes it. From the beginning with Abraham. Abraham and Sarah decide, you know what? The best way for us to fulfill God's promises is for us to help him out. And so they come up with this great idea with Sarah's handmaiden and a child that would kind of be her child. And you're thinking, yeah, I've never understood that, preacher. It's kind of weird and twisted. How does that work? Exactly. How does that work? It doesn't. And because of that, nations are at war. They were then. They are now for those reasons and many, 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 many more. We get involved, but yet God says, you know, I'm not going to let that stop me. I'm going to keep my promises. I'm going to keep my covenant even when you make it tough. We killed his son, Christ. We crucified him saying, God, we thank you that you sent your son. But honestly, we have a better solution than that. And then when we were convicted of the fact that we killed him, we thought, that's it. It's over, right? It's over. We, God says, no, actually, I can overcome death as well. But you have to trust me. You have to trust me. God has conquered every oppressive power, not only in our hearts, not only the sins and the thoughts of our mind, but in this world, the real things. God is not just God individually over your heart and your mind and subjectively within your spirit. God is not just a spiritual king. He is a king over all. So let's celebrate it. That's just how awesome God is. Our God reigns. That little summons to worship ends with the, with the statement that God has taken the throne above all other thrones. All the earth is under his rule. You know, I used to think that um, I could look at a political map or I could look at flags like that and I could say to myself, well, Christ is Lord there, but he's not Lord there. Christ is Lord there, but he's not Lord there. Just kind of go randomly through it, you know. I said, this territory is not Christ, so we need to move that territory in. 
That's why I used to think. Maybe you thought that too. Maybe you think that right now. I want to tell you, that thinking is completely wrong. That didn't mean that I was going to hell because I thought that or anything like that. It's just that I got my eyes opened and I realized, wait a second. When I read scripture, Christ has been made king over all the earth and over every realm and over every power. That means that everywhere God is king, Christ is king. It's just that some people recognize that and some people don't. All the earth is under his rule. And the psalmist is saying to his nation, let's show the rest of the nations what that looks like. This isn't a new thing that God in his old age kind of softened and said, you know, this business of keeping my covenant to one nation, Israel, ah, it's a bit much. Maybe it's time I start loving everybody. No. That's not the way it is. When you read Genesis 12, God's telling Abraham what his plan is, and Abraham can't even fathom it. But he says, I will bless you, Abraham, and through you all nations will be blessed. Not just the United States of America, not just Canada, not just North America, not just the Christian nations, but all nations on earth will be blessed. Why? Because God is going to start moving in such a way that everyone comes to recognize his rightful and his peaceful rule. And what God promised to Abraham is really fulfilled and really seen in Jesus Christ. In Philippians 2, you have what may be one of the earliest songs of the church. And in Philippians 2, Paul tells the story of the gospel in just a few verses. Jesus Christ, who's on an, and this is my paraphrase, who's on an equal footing with God, doesn't decide to hold on to that privilege, but lets go of it. He submits himself, becoming obedient to his Father, takes the form of a servant on earth, takes the form of a man. He's obedient even to the point of death and a shameful death on a cross. But God raises him, and he not only raises him from the grave and brings him back to life, but he exalts him. You know, one of the things that we often leave out of the gospel proclamation is the exaltation of Christ. That he died on the cross, he was buried, and he was raised. And we end right there. Because if you stop and think about it, why should it go anywhere else? In fact, what, 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 is, what is Jesus, what is God really thinking about leaving us, old dopey us, with the task of evangelism and proclamation? Wouldn't it be much better if we had a 2,000-year-old man from that day and age still alive and still with us, and he could be telling the story? He could be preaching? Boy, that'd be convicting, wouldn't it? The reason is, is because that's not his place anymore. His place is to be exalted to the right hand of God with a name above all names so that at his name every knee will bow, every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is King. You're saying, preacher, that actually says Jesus Christ is Lord. I know, but we don't understand Lord. 
We think Lord is just some sort of church title. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, Lord, Lord. And we use it a lot. In fact, when we get surprised, oh, Lord. And then, you know, if you want a small Lord, it's an oh, Lordy. And uh, I don't know what a Lordy is, but, you know, we have that. A Lord is a king, is a ruler, is a sovereign. It's a, it's a very special title. It's the highest title. He is overall. When Stephen, he's called the first Christian martyr. It means he's the first person who, because he believed in this gospel, because he believed that Jesus Christ was the risen one and was exalted as king over all the earth, that message brought him into conflict with people who were threatened by that because they liked their idea of nations and kings just the way it was. And to say that this, this, this person from Galilee, this Nazarene, that, that he was Lord, such a thing would never be. It just didn't fit in their mind although others found that it fit very much with God's intention all the way from Genesis. And so Stephen is preaching this to his people. And the thing that upsets them most is when he says, I see heaven opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. You know, that statement in some of the nations that these, that these flags represent is going to get you in a lot of trouble. And right now, we have brothers and sisters who are worshiping in some of these nations. And they believe what Stephen saw. And it's not a very welcome statement. But their faith hasn't wavered. And that's not because they have some special grit or determination that you and I wouldn't have or don't have. It's because they don't take it for granted that they know who is really and truly in power. So the next time that someone says, you know, this nation, we're going to be led into persecution. Oh, the powers of this nation. They're going to take away everything Christian in this world. And you start getting nervous and you start getting upset. Just remember who's really in charge. Just remember who's really Lord. And if we get persecuted, which I don't think is likely to happen on a large scale anytime soon, but it could. But if it does, I already know brothers and sisters in places like this where that's not popular. And you know what? If that happens, blessed be the name of the Lord. I know who's in really, really in charge, and I know who the real king is over all the earth. And if I'm kicked out of my own nation, or if I'm ostracized by my own nation or by my people, at least I know that I am welcome in the kingdom of heaven. That's what we've got to live by. Now, if you and I embrace that, even now, then why shouldn't we be out there proclaiming this, saying, clap your hands. Everybody. All nations, clap your hands and shout. Why? Because God has taken his throne. He's ruling over everything. But what about all these other powers? Oh, the lights are going out on them soon. Don't worry. They're temporary. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that you'll help us to have that same vision that Stephen did and that it will inspire us to submit our lives to you. 
that, Father, we will find our identity in being subjects of the kingdom of heaven first and above everything else. And then wherever we find ourselves, however we find ourselves going about in this world, Father, we will not be afraid because we know that you are the great king over all the earth. And Father, I pray that that will give us encouragement and it will give us a boldness, not to exert our will over others, but a boldness to proclaim your goodness and your rule and your justice and your mercy. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Gina Belote is going to Bulgaria, where it has not always been popular to proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. People there have had a, a hard feelings and an attitude towards Christianity. And one of the things that Gina is finding is that there are people there who are discouraged because they have seen people who claim to represent our king, and they've done so in a way that is not at all like our king. And so Gina is going there, and she is representing our king. Don't you know that she's worthy of our support and encouragement? And when people ask Gina, they say, why are you coming to Bulgaria? See, they don't understand that. It's not a romantic place. And then she starts talking about her king and how she's obedient to her king. They pay attention. They listen. And when she talks about knowing this king, they really pay attention. We're going to sing this song. Gina, I want you and, 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 and uh, Ron and Debbie, come on up here too. We want to give a blessing to your family as you get sent out to serve. If there's anybody else who needs a blessing or needs to submit themselves to the king, you do that by laying down your life in baptism. If you have any need to come up here and talk to these shepherds, let's do that now. Let's stand up. Let's sing, church.